in the middle of a mission, if the team can't continue, you deal with the team. Like you don't break each other to continue onto a, an unwinnable situation. So the team centers everything it's, that it does around what it can do in that moment. And there's a lot of no conversations. Like I cannot continue. Cool. Let's just sit here. If you can't continue yelling at somebody and there's no great leadership technique that can get somebody to do something that they're not capable of doing. So what you, so then you'd have to figure out what are you capable of doing? Now that's the, that's really the conversation. What are humans really capable of doing? You have to understand that. Hi, I'm Pete McCall. And thank you for tuning into this episode of the All About Fitness Podcast. That voice you just heard is a guest for this episode, retired Navy SEAL, author, and motivational speaker, Tom Shea. Before I go into the full introduction for Tom, can I ask a huge favor? If you've purchased a copy of Smarter Workouts from Amazon, or if you listen to the All About Fitness podcast on a regular basis, can you please take a moment to leave a five-star review? I'm an independent author and independent content producer, and those reviews are lifeblood. They help, the, they, they help the content go up higher in the search rankings. And if you're getting value out of Smarter Workouts, if you're getting value out of the podcast, my goal is to help people learn how to, to enhance their lives through exercise. And by taking a moment to leave a review, you can help me with that goal and help other people learn what I'm trying to do and, and to learn the benefits of how to add more exercise and physical activity to their lives. So thank you very much for that. The Navy SEALs have a well-earned reputation as the elite special operations force in the U.S. military. However, special operators don't rely just on physical prowess for their various job duties. There's a tremendous amount of mental preparation that is required to be successful when operating in extremely stressful environments. Tom Shea spent a number of years in the SEAL teams where not only did he spend time in combat zones, but he also was involved in training new SEAL recruits in their BUDS training, and, and I forget exactly what BUDS stands for, but that's the basic training required to be to, to enter the SEAL teams. So Tom not only fu- functions as an operator in war zones, but he also helped prepare others to become successful operators themselves. Based on his experience, Tom has written two books. One is called Three Simple Things, and the other is Unbreakable. In addition, he provides leadership seminars to help people learn how to be more successful in their lives. Yes, we might be familiar with the images of boot camp instructors offering their special brand of encouragement for endless push-ups or a relentless amount of running. That's only a small component of what is required to be successful in the special operations community. That's what I wanted to talk to Tom about. I wanted to learn from his experience. What's it take to be successful as a special operator? And what's amazing is Tom has had a lot of failures along the way. You'll hear some very specific instances of failures. And he didn't make it through recruit training through through the BUDS program on his first try. And that's one thing I want to point out. And that's one thing I'm fascinated by. In our society, we're so focused on perfection, there's such an abject fear of failure that sometimes we don't even try. It's easy to think of failure as a negative outcome. But it's important to realize that failure can actually be one of the greatest learning tools available. On this episode, Tom shares his experience of how failure and stressful situations can actually be used as learning opportunities. In addition, he provides valuable insights and thoughts on the ability to achieve balance in life. I mean, we're all struggling for balance, right? We're all trying to achieve balance between life, 
work, home, and everything. And Tom offers some great insights on that. Too often we want the easy way out, but it's important to remember that the only time, the only time that success comes before work is in the dictionary. This is a fascinating conversation about the benefits of hard work, what it takes to overcome adversity, and how to benefit from failure with Tom Shea, a retired Navy SEAL and founder of the Unbreakable Leadership Seminars. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. On All About Fitness today, we are speaking with retired Navy SEAL and author Tom Shea. Tom, how are you doing today? Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Well, no, thank you. I mean, this is really, it's an honor. And what you didn't know is I'm doing a little series here on tactical strength and conditioning, on how the tactical community, and that, that could be first responders from firemen to law enforcement to, to what you did in your career, what, how their strength and conditioning needs are met. Did you notice a big shift in your career in the Navy? And you served 23 years, correct? Yeah, I was in the SEAL teams for 23 years. And did you notice a big shift during that time in, in the types of strength and conditioning and the types of fitness programming you did? Yeah, when I came in, uh, the SEAL teams were were for skinny guys that could run 100 miles. It really was designed around people that could, you didn't have to carry a lot of weight, and it was a, a big-time endurance program. And then when war started to happen, people had to carry body armor and more gear, and our, our program redesigned itself to, you literally had to become a diesel engine as opposed to a high-performance engine. Now, it's interesting because when you look at it, because overall, I mean, the services, if my understanding is correct, the services like the Marine Corps, the Army, in the last 15 years or so, they've completely redone the way they do their, their strength and conditioning. Were you ever a part of that in terms of mm-hmm. evaluating whether or not you, uh, being a special operator had different fitness needs? Yeah, we are. You know, when the teams are small, there's only probably 2,000 operators and maybe 1,000 of those are in any position to make choices. And uh, from 2001, when the, when the war kicked off, I was an instructor. So I was in a position to make those choices, if you will, to what we do and how we adapt to the, the you know, the, the changes. And 
it it went to uh, instead of literally beating people into submission to more adaptive learning, if you will, where you would you would beat them, but you'd give them you have to understand how people recover. And recovery became a functional part of training as opposed to something that just got in the way of more training. Hmm. It's interesting you say that because in 2010 or 2011, I started teaching workshops to fitness professionals on recovery because I saw all the I saw all the high intensity stuff with CrossFit and I'm like, okay, that's great, but there's another side to the equation, and it, it really is. So, did you notice a difference? Because, and I'm just I'm, I'm fascinated by this, Tom. Because I, I view special operators like the SEALs as probably the elite of the elite athletes in the world. I'm not just talking about in terms from a military standpoint, but from an athletic, from a competition standpoint. Because what you're doing out there, you have to adjust to so many different variables in the field that it requires a high level of fitness. So if you could talk a little bit about what are the requirements, what, what does it take? Because I think a lot of people are familiar with like BUDS training, the basic training for the SEAL teams as being extremely hard. Why is that so hard, and what does it take to be able to, to matriculate through that and become a member of the teams? I don't think the answer is as simple as the question. Uh, so from genesis of the SEAL training, which the SEAL training really designs itself around uh, three different phases. Uh, everybody knows the first phase, and inside of the first phase, there's a condition called Hell Week. And that's the crucible. And uh, you have to make it through hell week before they'll even teach you anything of value. Mm. So the first five weeks of training is just conditioning the kids to mentally and physically do something impossible and then recover and then do it again the next day and then recover and then do it again the next day and then make you do five weeks of training in five days. And so what became very clear is uh, what had to happen and what happened even in World War II when they started it is we don't want people who uh, have to have all the right nutrition to perform high. We don't want people that have to have eight hours of sleep. We want people who keep coming to training the next day, not sure how they made it through, but they keep coming back. And even though that's not what every human should have to go through, all SEALs have to understand that we don't want thoroughbreds. And even though you would look at that as, hey, these athletes are pretty cool and they, and they can do hard things, and they can, but what they learn to do is do really simple things and then turn the, on, the off switch on or turn off the on switch. So the, the key to SEAL training is your ability to turn off how you're doing things and rest. And uh, that becomes the crucible way to in, to endure, is and they, you don't you don't hear you don't hear that anywhere. It's not the on switch that matters; it's the off switch. And seals get really good at turning it off very quickly. Like they become social uh, uh, sociopaths because they do something very very hard, and then they turn it off, and then they do something soft. And if you give some a seal five minutes, he's going to fall asleep somewhere. And so that off switch, the people that can't turn it off cannot make it through training. The ones that have to be on, that have to be the top, that have to be performing at a high level, that have to do more push-ups than everybody else, don't make it through. And the ones who just find a way uh, 
tend to do incredible things over time. That, that's fascinating to hear because the physiologist in me, Tom, is I understand you, you describe it. I mean, you, just, you did a great job of, of my understanding of it from a physiology point of view because we're looking to find individuals, men, and I know women don't serve in the teams, but I know they, they, they sometimes are in support roles of special, mm-hmm. special operations units. But they're looking for men out there who know how to put mission first and, and can kind of coalesce in a unit and be able just to function because, and I've never been in this situation, so I have no idea what it's like. But from my understanding, being in a combat environment, being in an operating environment like that is extremely stressful. And you, you can't turn it off when you're out, if you're out in the field, especially, I mean, in, in your teams, you guys deploy in relatively small units and very, um, I think Randy Hetrick described it one time, Randy created the TRX. He, he described the whole reason he created the TRX is because he's deployed somewhere where white men stick out <laughs> and he needed a way to work out indoors. Mm-hmm. So your teams have to deploy in, in very challenging areas. What does that teach you about leadership? Like what does that mm-hmm. teach you about how to make it through tough situations? Uh, you, you asked something in the early part of that question that I think is a misnomer in how people look at uh, how high functioning teams deal with stress and how they deal with leading and following uh, the SEAL teams are the most unique unit. It's different than Green Beret. It's different than Delta. Uh, mission doesn't come first. Each other, each, the team comes first. Mm. So I, I will turn down a mission if the team cannot accomplish it. In the middle of a mission, if the team can't continue, you deal with the team. Like you don't break each other to continue onto a, an unwinnable situation. So the team centers everything it's that it does around what it can do in that moment. And there's a lot of no conversations. Like I cannot continue. Cool. Let's just sit here. If you can't continue yelling at somebody and there's no great leadership technique that can get somebody to do something that they're not capable of doing. So what you, so then you'd have to figure out what are you capable of doing? Now that's the, that's really the conversation what are humans really capable of doing? You have to understand that. Coming to find out, you don't really need a lot of sleep. You'll eventually need sleep, but you don't really need sleep for three days. You can function at a high level because you're attentive. Your hormones will be very happy for about three days. If you eat and drink, you'll be happy for three days. You actually don't need to drink that much or eat that much. So all the stuff that you, I thought was important because of my degree before I went into to SEAL training was uh, exercise physiology. And I thought I really knew <laughs> something. And then you go in the SEAL teams and none of that data really mattered. Yeah. And so what became clear is what, now what are the human, what is a human, any human capable of doing? The first thing that you learn is you're only operating at 20% of your capacity physically. Well, ooh, what would the other 80% even look like? Because if everybody's doing 20, what would 20% look like? So then they put you into training. And inside of training, the question that you are asked, even though they don't ask you this question, they give you a, a problem that's not doable. So the first thing that you have to understand about yourself is that you, you don't think much of yourself. I thought that I was a good athlete. I had played football at West Point. I'd been... Uh, in all these high-level events, I th- 
thought, you know, I was a pretty good athlete. And then you show up to SEAL training. And the first day of training, an instructor gets up and says, all right, we're going to do push-ups. All you have to do is do 25. And nobody can do 25. Perfect together in sync with the whole team. The instructor is up there. He does 50, uh, 500, 500 unbroken push-ups while the rest of you can't even do 25. Then, he, then he'll flip over and do 500 sit-ups unbroken. And I'm like, okay, that's a whole different level. And what, you, what we realized is that the brain doesn't really like to challenge itself. So SEAL training is simply about challenging the brain first, and then the body follows. And the, the, so the 20% rule is because 20% is only what you allow yourself to do. The other 80%, your brain has to be okay with doing it. Like how far can you go? And in SEAL training, you get asked that by Hell Week. How far can you push yourself? In the first two hours, you've already pushed yourself to the max. You can't do any more push-ups. In the first two hours of Hell Week, they just make you so tired in the first two hours that you can't continue. And then you got four and a half more days left. So the brain becomes the center part of it all. And then as a leader, you just got to realize uh, your job as a leader is to take care of your people and you don't really care about the mission. You care about the people and that form of leadership doesn't really translate. Well, I think it translates well to everything, but it's hard to do that as a, as a business leader. Yeah. I can see that it's not a perfect uh, adaptations, but that, that brings up one of the questions, Tom, that, that segues perfectly into it. Cause, cause looking at, at your background and looking at this and, and what I want, where I want to go, this conversation one of the questions I have is, how do you keep moving forward? When that little voice in the back of your head, just like you described, I, I couldn't imagine the, the, physical challenge, <clears throat> the physical challenge of Hell Week. But when that little voice says, hey, man, a daiquiri, a beer, a cold beer, sitting down on a shady area would be really sweet right now. And it says, stop. When that voice is telling you, man, this is, this is weird. This is crazy. Mm-hmm. You can't be doing this. How do you override that voice? What, what do you do? How, do, how does one be able to kind of yep. say, you know what, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm just going to keep moving forward. Well, so that uh, it becomes uh, our articulate way. The, the key and what I teach people now and when I was a leader, what you had to ensure. And as an instructor, what you realize what you're doing as an instructor is you're, you're killing their excuses. Mm-hmm. So, what and how I use that reference wise is if you stop excusing yourself from what you're committed to and what you should be committed to if you're an athlete is keeping things very rudimentary and simple. If you can commit to working out an hour a day with for every day that ends in Y, you'll be the best version of yourself known. People can't do that. Because they've learned to process things as an excuse. I'm tired. I'm sick. I'm sick. I have COVID. My wife doesn't want me to work out. My kids are late. I'm late, whatever. So in SEAL training, they kill your excuses by giving you a thousand reasons to quit. We want you to feel like quitting all the time until you stop paying attention to it. Yeah, we're going to threaten to kill you. You're going to feel like you're going to die. 
You're going to be so cold, you pray that somebody kills you because it's so miserable. And then eventually you stop processing your excuses and then just take a step. So if you didn't have an excuse, you would take a simple step. Mastery is taking that step. Man, nobody does that. Nobody does that in anything. Like literally, you want to be in good shape, work out an hour a day, stretch for 20 minutes, and drink 10 glasses of water. That's all it takes. Nobody can do that. We've complicated it. We have hacked it because our excuses become really interesting to us. You know, I, I love the fact that that it, you're so right. That, that's the basic thing, right? You have, what, what kills me is in another month or two, no, probably by the fall this year, we're recording this in the summer, the first day of July. What will happen probably starting in September, October, Tom, I get contacted by fitness reporters asking me, like, what's the next trend in fitness going to be? What's what's the next trend in exercise going to be? And I'm like, mm-hmm. this is the same thing we've always done. <laughs> do something there. Get your heart rate up. Be a little bit out of breath. Do something every day. Switch it up and, and just be active every day. Why is it? What is it about the human condition that we, we want to? And, and I really don't like this term per se, but why is it that the human condition wants to take shortcuts or hack things? That, the, I know it's not, uh, so it's how we're being taught right now. So if you, in the, in the SEAL teams, you're not taught to hack it. So you don't think of a shortcut and the shortcuts are beaten out of you. So don't short this Do it the hard way. You have a hundred pushups to do, do a hundred pushups. Don't do 50. Don't half them, do the whole thing. So it's more how we're, how we as kids are communicated how to grow. Uh, I'm not using this as a great reference. China plays the long game. They're playing the hundred year game. So they're not really worried about hacking the one that this year. Hmm. So, uh, and if you're, you know, as a coach, play the long game. Don't worry about this game right ahead of you. Play the, how build character in somebody build basics in somebody. Don't jump to, okay, we're just going to suffer to win because you can't learn from that. And then as a youth or a kid, if you learn to play the long game, then the long game is this, fail, 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 fail. Oh, eventually you'll win. But don't judge yourself on how you feel and how many times you've beaten somebody that you probably could have beaten anyway. So the long game is just a mindset of, of professionalism that boy, try to find any book written about playing the long game. There isn't. So we're being taught how to be fragile. And then we're asking ourselves, since we're fragile, how do we beat being fragile? Stop being fragile, play the long game. You know, it's funny. There's a lot in there because, because I agree with you totally. I mean, I'm one of these people, Tom, the only time I use my nav system is if I'm in a new area of driving a rental car and I don't want to try to figure out, you know, exactly but I like old school maps. <laughs> I still mm-hmm. use old school maps. I refuse. My kids ask me, when are you going to start using Siri, daddy? And I refuse to speak to a computer. I know that's going to be the way of the future, but I'm like, if I can't take a few seconds to type something in the search bar, I don't need to find it. You know what I mean? It's like, I, that's just my mindset. So, so I appreciate that. I want to stay, if you don't mind, I want to stay sure. a little bit with, with the recruit process. Um, what, what type of individuals are attracted to, to SEAL training? And I'm going to ask this in two parts. What type of individuals are attracted to that community? And then more importantly, what type of individuals make it through 
the entire training process? Well, there have been smarter people than me try to figure that out. We had Rand Corporation. Every three years, uh, a new body of thinkers comes in and tries to solve it because they're trying to solve a, an attrition problem. Problem. So it's not very cost effective to fail 80% of the people out. And so they're like, well, let's figure out how do we recruit better? Uh, and they look at interesting metrics. And one of the metrics that becomes somewhat true from the people who graduate and do well in the team. So somebody that's been in the teams for 10 years take a population of what their mindset is, what their background was prior to coming. All of them, not all, probably 90% of the people who are successful at a, overcoming an attrition-based program are people who have already had rough times in their lives. Mm. They've failed. They've hit bottom. They didn't have pristine you know, growth environment. Uh, they may not have had parents at all. Either they should have been in jail and they chose right instead of left. You know what I mean? So they're people who have learned how to struggle and they do really well. The people who embrace struggle as a way of life do really well. Doesn't mean they're the person you take home to mom. <laughs> so it's the, it's the person you want to send into a really shitty environment and don't give them a lot of guidance and watch them flourish. Uh, so it, it, those are the people who do well in the SEAL community. Uh, what was the second part of your question? Well, the second one is like, so the first part is like, what type of people are attracted to it? And then what type of people make it through? Uh, well, you know, the interesting physiologically, the people who make it through are uh, recover addicts, not addict. They, they weren't addicts. They're, they're addicted to recovering. So the people who party all the time that spend their weekend in SEAL training, chasing women, being tired, doing shenanigans, they don't recover and then it, it beats them down. So the ones who are very focused on sleep, recovering, don't screw with me. I'm just going to spend the weekend doing nothing. They do really well in SEAL training. The guys that are high, high energy and go, let's go out and play are very rare that they make it through because you can burn out very quickly. And so what I, is a funny conversation that all of us senior chiefs talk about is, you know, how do we better serve the, the guys that we were, were leading, take your hands off and let them, let them sleep, let them deal with each other. Don't let them get crazy, curb them from doing stupid shit because People do that, but it's the funny thing, and especially as an instructor, the guys who did well uh, were very calm, and that means they didn't burn out. And you would use that as a metric to solve a problem, but uh, as an instructor, the only way I could look to see who I thought was going to make it through, it's the guy who was very calm. No matter how terrible the condition was, he was just calm. The guys who were yelling and burning out and trying to be the number one never made it through. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Wait a minute. Let me ask you, because you just said something that really caught me by surprise. Guys go home on the weekend during seal during during uh, the recruit train or what do they call it, buds. They're able to go home. So like not nine to five theoretically during the week they're training, but they can go home on the weekend. Yeah. So it's a well. Let's let's talk about it. So it's a six month long program. Uh, it's Monday through Friday, recovery Saturday Sunday, hmm. uh, except for Hell Week. Well, Hell Week starts on Sunday and goes to Friday, so it's somewhat the same. And then the last month of training, you're out on San Clemente Island, and nobody gives a shit. They don't care about <laughs> sleep. Yeah. And but it's a it's a five day a week opportunity. And if you don't recover on the weekend, you just cannot start on Monday. Well, that I, I honestly I, I was under the impression that you you live there full time. And it makes all the sense in the world to me that if you get a chance to go home for 48 hours, good God. Well, you don't have training. I don't know what home means. Well, yeah. So you're in barracks or you may live with your wife if if you were married at that point. But uh, you don't have training to do from Saturday to Sunday night uh, or Friday night to Sunday night. And uh, the ones who calmly get ready for Monday do really well. And that makes, I mean, again, this is a physiologist hat, not, not the 22 year old who wants to go party in Pacific beach hat. Cause you can understand that the draw yeah. of that, of, of how guys get stuck in that. Now to, to take that a step further, one of the things that, that fascinated me, I think it was in men's health about a year, maybe a year and a half ago, talking about how, how the community, how seals are starting to do more yoga and meditation. And you've made recovery. You, you've been talking about recovery is a big component of how you guys stay successful but what role has have the seals adopted yoga and meditation, and what role, if any, does that play in the in the kind of the, the development, the fitness development? Uh, yoga was brought in in two thousand, maybe two thousand two ish, as a mobility exercise. Uh, let's get somebody in here, and the teams have always done really well at this. Uh, let's not try to solve problems ourselves. Let's go s- talk to somebody who's already climbed Everest. Mm-hmm. So, and at the time, yoga represented, uh, you know, 
you know, joint mobility and muscular mobility that the teams didn't have. And uh, it, a lot of other mobility programs have adapted since then. And, and, and it was also an interesting dynamic to bring in a woman into a, a, a man environment and she dominate because men aren't very flexible anyway. And then you're like, what the hell is she doing? I can't even bend half that way. So uh, it became clear. Uh, we, we had already mastered the movement. Uh, we'd already mastered exercise. It's like there wasn't much more to teach us in the SEAL community about how to do a push-up or how to do a pull-up and how to do the the exercise, you know, component of fitness. The one thing we didn't know is how to do the the eating and the uh, the mobility or the f- being flexible. So, because guys were getting injured, so it wasn't the exercise that was killing them. It was on day five they didn't recover, they didn't eat right, so their bodies were t- getting tapped out. So we had to figure out how how to do that, and the first experience was bringing in somebody that was an expert in yoga and putting guys through stretching that was different than, you know, touch your toes. All right, let's go run five miles. (laughs) And so that became a professional way to look at what are the real components of fitness from at least the, the tactical side of it. And then we brought in nutritionists and everybody nutrition is so fatty. It's so hard to figure out what, what, what is true and what's not. So we broke things down into there's three aspects of, of fitness. There's the motion, you know, the go do work type thing. And then there's the flexibility or stretching. And then there's the eating and hydration. Mm-hmm. And so we just, cause I, you know, the human brain can't deal with more than three factors and that be the case. Uh, uh, it made a huge difference long-term. Now the meditation the calming, the being able to address the, the freaking demons in your head after, you know, 2000 hours of combat. Nobody knew that there were demons until everybody was in combat for 10 years. So we had to bring in somebody else from the outside, psychotherapists, psychologists, they were already there, but team guys don't like to be told they're wrong. And so we bring in other people that uh, have already learned to deal with how to calm yourself and so we brought in people that would teach different aspects of meditation. And, and now like there's even isolation tanks, you know, those, those Epsom salt tanks that people can go in and, and begin to tune down as opposed to always being tuned up. So the off switch has been one of the bigger factors in longevity than uh, it was when I got in many years ago. Well, that, that brings up an interesting uh, juxtaposition because I'm a big fan of the Soviet research literature for exercise science because the Soviet sports scientists really were understanding this stuff way back in the day. And just as a side note, my my undergrad was actually in the, I was going to do international relations and try to get into arms control theory back mm-hmm. in the early 90s. I did a semester abroad in London where I did an internship at the, what was it, the Center for Defense Studies. And it was just an area that, that fascinated me. And one of the whole reasons, Mark, uh, or sorry, Tom, one of the whole reasons, Tom, um, that I never made it to the military is I, I went in, I was my senior year of college in 94 and I was talking to the army about going into, um, I wanted to go to the defense language Institute up in Monterey. And I hadn't thought about this year. You said something that kind of like, I had, oh yeah, I had this memory bubble. 
Um, but I went to go down to do testing and go all the way down from where I was going to college in Redlands down to, to L.A. Mm-hmm. And the, the recruiter forgot to bring the paperwork. And so he, what's that? I love it. That's always what happens. And, and I'm like looking at that and I took that as a sign. I'm like, you can't get the, you can't get this right for my testing. And I'm like, and I'm going to give you my, my, you know, a few years of my life. I'm like, that's when I decided, you know what, I'm that, this probably isn't going to be for me. So, um, anyway, that, that was my introduction to it. But it, you said something that, that, that made me think about that. I, I hadn't thought about that in a while in terms of studying, um, in terms of where I was going with that. But what I was doing, what I was thinking about in terms of Soviets, so in the Soviet re- in the Soviet literature on exercise science, what two things? One is they don't train their athletes to 100%. Like here in America, we want you to be 100% ready. The Soviets knew that if you trained about 90, 95% of your of your capacity, as soon as the whistle goes off, or as soon as the gunshot shoots for the start of the competition, your epinephrine, your hormones, everything will take you that extra five to 10%. That you don't need to be overtrained before you start. So it's mm-hmm. interesting that that we're now catching up on the recovery. But the other thing that the Soviets looked at it is wasn't just what the muscle did when it contracted, but they looked at how quickly could a muscle relax? Mm-hmm. How quickly can a muscle turn off? Because a joint can't go through a range of motion unless some of the muscles are switched off. And so I think it's really interesting that you look at that in terms of on and off. And has meditation, has yoga and meditation made a difference in terms of the overall operating environment for, for the guys in the teams? Uh, you know, it's an impression. I would say that it has, uh, because, uh, if you more, you you had to convince the leaders, the old timers that the off switch mattered, uh, because, you know, you, you, the older you get, I think you think you have less time. So you try to get more done in the few hours that you have left on the planet and, and, uh, or you may have been kind of abused athletically when you were in the team since you think that's the way to move forward. The, the, what really crushed everybody was everybody comes back and can't function after a six month combat deployment because they're on, they can't turn the, they can't even engage the off switch. So we forced people to go off, like turn things off. Don't even go home for a while. So don't have to deal with your parents. Don't have to deal with your lover. Don't have to deal with your kids, whatever that case is, whatever your home life was. Take two weeks and don't do anything where you're not responsible and let the hormones resettle. And uh, kind of the hormone idea was really the big deal in the teams now is how the hormones get out of whack and you got to correct them before you can correct anything. And, but it came full circle back to work out for an hour, stretch and eat well. Boy, does that reset things. And yeah. so it, oh, damn, it's back to simple again. So <laughs> it was a fun, it was a phenomenon to watch it. And, uh, but the medita- I would call it meditation or prayer or soft time or sleep or something where you don't have to produce results now uh that has been a big deal it creates longevity yeah and that's an interesting concept i think uh, as, as we talk tom it becomes remarkable that that we as humans are very good at making the the simple complicated and the, the one thing i always tell people when i teach workshops on exercise is if you look at any master in their field whether it's a chef whether it's a musician whether it's an artist let's take those three chef musician and artist you can take chicken, beans, and rice. 
you can take, you have what, seven note, notes of music? It shows how much I know about music. But I think you have seven or eight notes of music and you have three primary colors. Any master in their field is very good at taking those three basic elements mm -hmm. and doing amazing things with them. Is that one of the things you've learned in, in your experience in, in special operations is to not overthink things and to really just kind of sometimes focus on let's do the next simple thing and move forward from there? Yeah, we, we broke it down. So that was the great thing about being in the military is uh, success is passed down through the military. So people pass on their successful and failure experiences from 200 years till now. And what that became very clear about is you have to make choices as if it's three o'clock in the morning and there's no light and you're trying to talk to a five-year-old. If you can't do that, then it's already too complicated. So you got to convince a five-year-old to do something and you can't see them and it's cold outside. So, all right, make, make that how you make decisions. And then we, we brought some experts in that also reinforced that the, you, the human brain can't think of more than three things. It can't think of more. So why do you try to complicate it by giving it a million things to adapt to? Just let it think of three things. And that can be a stretch. And then once you commit, don't uncommit. So that was the biggest thing that I never hear anywhere else is the SEAL teams are committed and they're, they're going to do what they committed to do even though it doesn't make any sense anymore. Athletically, that's why, or as you call the master, masters are, are committed. They're not going to stop doing the thing that they're good at. They're going to keep doing it. And like the life of excess leads to wisdom, that's really mastery. You're going to keep doing it and keep doing it. Gosh, why is that guy continuing to do that? So when I, gosh, I, well, how I proved to myself that it was true is a bunch of us went and swam the English Channel. Oh, wow. It's not even swimming. All it is is three things that you can think about. Breathe, <laughs> hand, arm strokes, and leg kick. You can't think of anything else. So after an hour of swimming, you can't really think of anything else. And it's not really how fast I am, how fat I am, how cold, all that stuff that your brain is trying to deal with. You have to force yourself to just deal with Arm stroke, breathe, kick. Arm stroke, breathe, kick. And if you think of anything else, you flounder. And I'm like, well, if I can just do those three things, I'll be able to swim the channel. Because there's a guide that's a boat that's guiding you, and there's support people, and they tell you when to drink and eat. And, and all you got to do is those three things. Ooh, it was so hard just to do those. <laughs> Your mind wanders. You're like, what the hell am I doing out here? I'm freezing. Oh my God, I'm never going to feel my feet again. Or gosh, my wife, why am I, why did I leave her? And all that complicated stuff that we do to ourselves. And then forcing yourself to the three things uh, is what I call mastery. No, that, that I love that concept. And, and that, that I'm going to ask another question based on that in a second. But it's funny you bring up swimming. My, my older daughter is trying out for junior lifeguards here. Mm -hmm. in, I live in Carlsbad in, near San Diego, not too far mm -hmm. from Pendleton. And she's going to try out for junior lifeguards. So I've been helping her try, try to swim and try to get better at her, her treading water. And I have to say, I, I did swim team two or three years, I think, growing up, and I really didn't like it. 
Um, mm-hmm. So getting back in the water is bringing up some uncomfortable feelings, but I'm kind of forcing myself to do it because number one, I know it's a good fitness thing. Number two, it's been a while since I've done anything that's made me feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So I mean, every time I get in the water with my daughter, I try to force myself to swim a few laps. <laughs> let's, let's just say I probably look like a, I probably look like a walrus trying to <laughs> trying to tread water. But at least I'm trying. What I'm trying to do is get. If I don't if I don't practice it, I'm not gonna get better at it. I mean yep. that that's my that's the, the approach I'm taking. But I want to come back to a question about stress and and, you, and something mm-hmm. I read in, in preparation that that you wrote or that you said, I was listening to a couple of things you had posted online, was that we should learn how to embrace stress, that we should that we should realize that stress provides benefits for us. Because I think a lot of us really look at stress as like a negative thing, like, oh my goodness, this, whatever. But why? what do you mean by embracing stress? How can stress in, in, enhance us or provide benefits? Yeah, I, I'm asked this a lot and I do a lot of workshops with companies about this and uh, uh, it. It's a great, I just retort with a question. Is stress avoidable? It's not avoidable. So why avoid it? Why not know that it's a part of everything that you do? Go work out. So the moment you work out, you're eventually, you're no matter when you work out, you're going to have physiological stress, which is your body's inability to adapt with the requirement. And you're going to have mental stress which is your inability to focus on what you're doing. If you want to call that mental stress, you may have hormonal stresses, you may have others, but stress is going to happen. It's the guarantee. It's literally the only guarantee that you have on a day-to-day basis. You never can guarantee a stress, a stressless day. You guarantee you're going to be filled with what the hell is that? I don't care about that. Why am I doing this? All those stresses that you go through, but everybody's teaching you to avoid them. It's like avoiding turning in your car. <laughs> I don't want to learn to turn right. Oh my God, dude, you can't, you got to learn to turn because you're, there's going to be turns in life. So if you learn how to deal with all those things that are guaranteed, they become less of what they are. So stress isn't actually bad. Your muscle cannot grow unless it's adapted, unless it's hurt unless it deals with something that it can't conquer. Your brain is the same way. It has to feel like everything is overwhelmed so that it can make it basic again. So those things like uh, your heart rate gets jacked up, all those other issues that happen with humans, it's okay. Learn them. So if if you deal with how to learn how to be stressed out, you do really well. If you deal with avoiding that, oh my gosh, he's going to yell at me. I'm not going to go over there. Oh, uh, the the dudes over there lifting 500 pounds. That's stressful to me. I want to go over here and do yoga. You never learn how to deal with your life. Do like the, the, the way that I look at it is always do hard things. Don't do easy things. Easy things are not for not productive to you. Do hard things. Fail. If you fail all the time, you won't look at it as failure. But if you win all the time, you won't get it anywhere. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care 
a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Well, it's interesting because I was listening to something recently that was Kobe Bryant talking about failure. And, and he was saying that failure is just learning. It is yep. it's a learning opportunity. And I think Warren Buffett does the same thing. Warren Buffett won't fund a, co- fund a company that unless the, the uh, entrepreneur has failed two or three times. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. I, I never I, I told you I never served, but I, but I played club rugby for a number of years. And the one thing I learned that, that, that I carry with me from playing rugby is you're on a field. You have 29 other men on that field all running in different directions and you kind of learn how to survive in chaos. Mm-hmm. And we had an ethos in rugby of where I'd rather play a real, I'd rather play against a better team. I'd rather play against a team that's just fitter, better suited and lose than than play against a team that we're going to win by 40, 50 points because you don't learn anything. Yeah, you learn nothing. Yep. You know, you crush an opponent, so, you don't learn anything. But interesting you, thing, what happens in the SEAL teams, it's the only community that embraces it's called embracing failure. Uh, they never let you win. They never let you, I don't know why that keeps going out. Sorry about that. Sorry. They never let you have the experience of, uh, oh my gosh, we won. If something's going well, the instructor or the cadre will come in and like kill him, mock kill him. All right, the vehicle's not there. Okay, now you're out of ammo. Uh, Your gun's down. Uh, Your boss is dead. The helos aren't going to come pick you up. Solve it. I'm like, man, that's oh, I wish we could just win. The reason why the, a guy that wrote the curriculum a long time ago, a guy named Draper Kaufman in World War II, wrote this into the curriculum. Never let warriors win. Because if you let them win, they'll stop playing the game of war. Hmm. The only time they should win is in combat. So my only experience of winning in 23 years was to go overseas and to go into combat. Because you can win. It was so eye-opening. I'm like, what do you mean? It's over. Yeah, they're all dead. Oh, my God, it's not an all-day event? No, they're all dead. Oh, my God, I can't believe it. So I couldn't understand winning because I'd never won before because everything was a crisis. So now you go over into a chaotic situation where outside it looks like a chaotic situation. And all you as a team are doing is very basic stuff very rapidly. And you win. And your sense of it is it's so overwhelming to actually win or maybe it's underwhelming. You're like, Oh my God, is that what it was? Yeah, that was it. Okay. So they make, they make training a lot harder. So when you're actually on the field, it's relatively easy. And that I, a friend of mine came back, a, a friend of mine uh, was in the, um, the, the MARSOC in the uh, Marine Corps yep. um, operating units. He came back from Iraq one time and I never asked him. Was he? I can't remember if he's in Iraq or Afghanistan. He did tours in, in both locations, and I never, I never asked him about um, about any any action or anything like that, that. That was none of my business. But what I did ask him about 
was how do you handle, how do you deal with the stresses? Because again, physiology guy. And what he told me was very surprising. He told me that for guys like yourself that are out, that are out operating, that are outside the line, that you guys have a much lower, like, um, and I'm sure he, he said his PTSD yes. doesn't happen with that as much because you can go out there and you can take care of business. You're out there and you can kind of see a situation and, and overcome it. He said the worst part is are those people that are stuck on base, yep. mechanics, whatever, that are behind the wire. Is that, I mean, I found that fascinating because then you're sitting there and you can't do anything about your situation. Whereas if you're in an operating environment, you can go out and you just, just the way you described it and what you said, Tom, made me think of that is just like, wait, that's it. We eliminated the threat. Gives you that sense of kind of confidence in moving forward. Was that an accurate assessment of what it's like? Yeah, the, the, it's, a, it's a terrible thing to say this, especially in public. Uh, the people who don't do well in the military are the ones who are not offensive. Like if, and maybe that's a human condition. If you find yourself in a defensive, unwinnable condition that you can't do anything about, how frail you get as a human, like you can't function. And the ones who do really well are always on the offense because you can go solve it. Something's bad, go go solve it. And it's, a, it's also a catharsis and you actually get trained to do things that are very chaotic and very difficult to understand. But the person who doesn't get that afforded opportunity, their, their growth curve is very flat and then they can't respond well. And it was, it was tragic seeing that in the various places is the ones who couldn't leave the wire were the ones most stressed out. But that's the way of war, and it hasn't, that really hasn't changed much either. In, in your book, I mean, this kind of gets me to, to your book, Three Simple Things. In, in reading up about it, one of the things that, that you talk about, I, I think, is talking about chaos and talking about operating in a chaotic environment. And now for a lot of listeners, I, I think a strong majority of the listeners, uh, Tom, are not going to be operating somewhere like Afghanistan or Iraq, but they might have two or three kids with, with practices on the same day. They might have like, a, you know, what we described earlier that, that, that to them can be chaotic. What's something, how, how can people learn? Like what's one, what are one of the simple things that people can do to, to take the de-escalate a chaotic situation so they can get through it? I don't think you need to go into combat to have chaos. I think everybody in the past 14 months have had a rendition of chaos where shit goes south. What's going to happen next? I don't get a say. I lost my job. I can't go to work. My kids are at home now. Oh, that's So chaos as actually your inability to see a tree in the forest. So the key to chaos is finding simple uh, and that simple thing will always get you motion. What happens in chaos is nobody takes action. It's overwhelmed. We're going to die. Uh, my kids, my wife, oh, my God, what are we going to do? Nobody does anything. So wherever you are in the world, it don't try to compare it to people who are actually in combat. It's a, it's a horrible comparison. Uh, whether you play a sport, whether you're a dad, whether you're a kid, whether you're an athlete trying, whether you're about ready to start a program, Things will be chaotic. Get back to simple. In athletics, I've mentioned it. I've found this to be true. This is having trained 700 SEAL students when I was an instructor uh, and you know, running ultra marathons. 
the more simple you make things, the more successful you'll be. In athletics, this is how what it takes to be simple to be a great athlete. Movement relative to your sport for an hour. If you're a swimmer, swim for an hour. If you're a runner, run, bike, bike, football, football for an hour. Stretch for 20 minutes. Any kind of stretch. Stretch. And then drink 10 glasses of water. If you do that, you'll be in the top 4%. Every day of your life, you can't take days off because that's not a big demand. Every day for the rest of your life, if you move for an hour, stretch for 20 minutes, and drink 10 glasses of water every day, you will be in the top percentile of any sport that you're in. It's simple. We make it way too chaotic. We hack it. We take the wrong things. We don't drink. We don't stretch. We take days off. That's not necessary. Then those three simple things will profoundly move you. No, I, I agree 100%. Now, now, getting ready to wrap it up, I want to respect your time here. Um, another question I have but before we uh, to, to talk about your leadership training, the, the courses that you offer, is I love you said something about balance, that, that balance is kind of impossible to achieve. And, and, and I love that because to me, that's such an illusion, right? You have this whole industry out there of self-help gurus. We're trying to achieve balance. I don't personally, I'm like, that's crap. There's no such thing. I mean, you want to balance, stand on one leg for 30 seconds. Other than and that, that's about me, as much as you'll get. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, to me, so, so yeah, I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts on that because when you said that, I was like, yes, I totally, I totally agreed with that concept. Uh, juggle. To exchange balance with juggle. Uh, there are five areas of life that you need to juggle constantly. Obviously, your body, your physical life, you need to, that needs to be one of the things that you juggle. You don't try to find balance with it. You juggle it. The other one is constant learning. Be the dude or the woman who always is learning something. Don't be smart. Once you learn it, try to apply it. That's also learning. So that's the second area. So physical is one. Intellectual is the second one. Third is the pursuit of what you value, your job. So that's another, that's three, now three balls that you're having to juggle every day. The fourth one is the relationships you have. So, oh my gosh, there's four balls that I have to juggle every day. You have to juggle these. You will never find time balance and activity balance in those four. The fifth one is spirituality. Whatever your version of that, those to me are the five balls that you constantly have to balance, juggle, deal with on a day-to-day basis. Every day you have to deal with them. You literally have to. You cannot take days off because that is what your life is. Those five areas are your life. And in the SEAL teams, you had to deal with all five every day. You had to be fit every day. You had to constantly not be a smart ass and learn something new every day. The, your job or your mission was the third one. Your team was your relationships and your relationship with your wife. Mm. If your relationship with your wife was bad, you're kicked out. That's why most people get divorces because they can't figure out how to deal with their wife. So they divorce them because the team can't deal with you not having a great relationship because you're dysfunctional. And the fifth one became very clear in the more combat that we were in is everybody had to deal with their spiritual life every single day. So those five balls, whether you call it bouncing the balls or juggling them, 
You have to deal with them. You're never going to balance time and energy. You can't give one six hours of your day and zero to the other. So those five balls get really good at dealing with those on a day-to-day basis. And that's the key. Now you've written two books. You have, you have three simple things and then you have unbreakable. And I really, there's an interesting origin story for, for that first one unbreakable. Mm-hmm. What was it that, that prompted you to write that book and, and what, what would people learn from reading that book? Uh, so in 2009, I was a SEAL platoon chief and I was ordered to take my platoon over to Afghanistan and it, it wasn't a very nice environment. And uh, I, we thought for sure we were going to lose four to five guys in a 22 man platoon Mm -hmm. because it was combat and like epic historic combat that we knew we were getting into. So my wife, Stacy had asked me to, Hey, write notes to the kids in case you die. I want them to have some reality about what your life was like. So for six months, I wrote letters home, so to speak to my wife and kids and then I survived, and the original title of the book was called Spartan Woman, and I because one of the key points I wanted my kids to know was that you know great men aren't that way by themselves, and they need a woman that's actually stronger than them to keep them going. And I thought it was a great topic. the The editor or the publisher hated the, the title, so he went to Unbreakable. Well, even though even though I'm divorced, no, I would agree. My my ex wife was one of those women. She was phenomenal. Um, but you know, it just it, we're 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 grinding gears yeah. later on. But yeah, you're absolutely right. You, having that support is critical. Now, yeah. to ask uh, this question real quick, I wasn't on my list, but you mentioned that you went to West Point. How did you make that transition from West Point to to the Navy? I didn't make it. They made it for me. So yeah. I went there for three years and failed out in English of all the topics to fail out. Oh, geez. Okay. And uh, I, I had, so after failing out in English, I'm like, I, academics are not my thing. And when Stacy asked me to write uh, the book, I'm like, oh my God, honey, I can't write. That's why I'm a SEAL. I don't have to be an educated person, you know, and uh, but the transition out of there, well, I think, was the crucible to being successful. I had hit rock bottom, and I'd always wanted to be a SEAL. And I'm like, you know what? Since I'm at the bottom, I might as well do something that I think is impossible. And I just went and signed up for SEAL training. Didn't make it easier, but uh, I knew that it couldn't get any worse. It could get worse. You could die or commit suicide, but I wasn't going to do those either of those things. And it took me five times to make it through Hell Week. And uh, I had, I learned not to give up. And that was a great skill to have. So you went, you went through the first five weeks of training before and then Hell Week. You went through five times? Five times. Um, they don't let you do it anymore uh, because it screws up your brain. You can only try it twice now. Okay. So, I, yeah, I went through four in a row and uh, got a concussion, dislocated my shoulder, I uh, had pneumonia and kept pneumonia and just couldn't make it through hell week. And then I was kicked out of training out of the, out of the program for nine months and then came back and uh, it didn't make it easier. It's still like, I've been here a hundred times. Didn't make it easier. You still got to do a thousand pushups, man. It, that's yeah. the deal. Well, so unbreakable is a, is a fitting, is a very fitting title then. And, and before I ask the, the final question about your leadership training, what would you say if listeners have sons or daughters that are considering a career in the military, whether it's special operations or otherwise, 
what what benefits would that have? Because I have two young daughters. My daughter, I started late. My daughters are still in elementary school, and I'm trying to get them to understand. I mean, they know that their step grandfather uh, was in the Navy, and they know that. And and if if one of them chose the military, I'd be very proud of that. But what would you say to to any parent out there who has a son or daughter considering um, joining a service? Like I said earlier, remember there's two thousand two hundred plus years of experience that is being passed down through teaching experiences, through dynamics that you can't get anywhere else. You get teamwork, whether you like people or not, you get travel, you get education. Uh, those are very, uh, very poignant things to have in this day and age. And it's the only time, it's the only industry right now where the word commitment actually has merit. Like you learn commitment, you learn difficulty, you learn how to, all those buzzwords that are, you know, the, the social buzzwords of diversity and inclusion, they already always existed in the military. It was, you, you have diversity of ideas and unity, unity of action. That's a great thing to have. Like you get a say, you can say no, you can quit, you can continue. Everybody's important. Now everybody unifies towards one action. Uh, it's a great skill to have, and it never has ever hurt anybody unless they die, which is tragic. But the 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 process of being in the military, uh, I think, is the greatest thing that you can pick. My daughter picked it. I tried to talk her out of it because I didn't want her to do it for me. And she graduated West Point last year, and she's now an Apache pilot in the in the Army. Oh, that's all. I interviewed a young woman. That's awesome. And I interviewed a young woman last year. Who, she's on the CrossFit team for Ar- for the Army, mm-hmm. and she's uh, she's based in um, in uh, in Kentucky, I think. She's a pilot uh, for one of those. So that's that's an amazing. That's a hey. If one of my daughters became a helicopter pilot, I'd be super stoked for her. So that's awesome. Yeah. And what can people expect? I love the fact that you do. I was looking at your I, I was looking at your workshops and your seminars. What can people expect if they take one of your workshops or take one of your seminars? What type of training is that, and how would that help them in, in their life? So we're interested, my partner Brock uh, and I and my wife Stacy do the trainings, and we're interested in being the best version of ourselves in those five areas that I've discussed. And the, the training is very visceral. So it starts on a Friday night, ends on Saturday, no, Sunday afternoon. And we, we have a very difficult conversations, and we do activity that makes you viscerally learn the topics of the of the. Of, of the training and to be better at the things in life that have the most influence on you. And one of the things that is like the crucible for some reason is the ability to uh, learn about what emotions are, mm-hmm. because that has been the crucial aspect of uh, to, to be the best version of yourself is nobody ever gets taught what emotions are. So the Saturday night session lasts from dinner until like two in the morning <laughs> And uh, we have most most graduates come back again just to, to do the Saturday night session because it's so interesting to unlearn the emotion, the ego. Once you kill your ego, you become very successful. Uh, that's fascinating. I mean, I, I love that concept of it. And really, th- this there's always a lot. There's always this um, perception or misperception of, about people in the special operations community as being these gung-ho rah, rah, warriors. But this conversation, Tom, has really kind of enlightened me that 
it's much more than that. And, and what do you think, to wrap it up here and take it out, um, before you give people all the contact information, what do you think that biggest misperception is? What do you think the biggest, that, that if, you, if you get together uh, with uh, some of the guys you operated with, that you worked with, what do you kind of kind of roll your eyes at when you hear civilians try to, to talk about? Yeah, your, you your, actually answered the question yourself. Uh, the, uh, the, we, we, we look at TV and expect it to be true. Uh, I remember growing up watching or, or reading books, thinking that they were going to be factual. Uh, I read Rogue Warrior, a book about SEALs, and I thought, man, I'd like to be a SEAL. Or I, or I watched Charlie Sheen and Navy SEALs, the movie. Come to find out, none of that was actually true. None of it. Oh, my God. But the thing that was true was people. People show up. And if you can understand the human equation, you win. And the teams are very human dynamic because it's a small knit group. You're with them 24 hours a day for 23 years. And so you learn really succinctly how humans can function and how they can't function and uh, how they deal with things. And that to me is a great, uh, remarkable thing to continue to experience is the human equation. Uh, that's, that's powerful, man. And where can people get more information about you? Obviously you have, you have the two books, you have your workshops your, your, that you do the leadership training. Well, what if you can put the information out there so people sure. can can learn more about you? Uh, UnbreakableLeadership.com is our website, and then we're on social media either under if you just type in Tom Shea, that tends to draw uh, you know most of the the, the searching, and uh, we we train people who want more from their life, and if you don't, probably not the right place to come. Too often in life, we try to avoid stress. We think of stress as a negative thing. We try to avoid failure. We think failure is a bad thing. We think, think fail is a four-letter word, which, well, technically it is. But failure is just a learning opportunity. I think Thomas Edison, who, who tried, I, th- I forget how many times he failed at inventing the light bulb. He's like, there, I, learned, I think his quote is, I learned 10,000 ways to not to do it, but I only need to try it once or get it right once. Kobe Bryant has a great quote about failure. Failure is learning. You learn what not to do. And I think as Warren Buffett talked about that, he doesn't want to give money to an entrepreneur unless an entrepreneur has failed two or three times. So the point is that we can learn from failure. That was one of the fascinating things about this conversation was Tom was sharing that, you know, we think of special operations as winning all the time. And maybe they do in in a combat situation. Maybe they do in, in when they come into contact. But if they learn how to fail in training, if training is so challenging that it teaches them how to fail or how to, how to get through failure. Think about that when they get out to, to a combat or get out to a very stressful environment. They learn how to do that. So I think sometimes, I know in my life, I can do a better job of facing stress. I know I can do a better job of making that tough phone call, of having that tough conversation. And I'm trying to get better at that. And I think if, if you have that next, if next time you have that stressful situation, next time you have that tough call to make, next, next time you have that tough conversation, think of it as an opportunity. And exercise is physical stress that makes us stronger. Physical stress makes your muscles stronger. Cardiorespiratory stress makes your heart and lungs more efficient at working. Well, think about those tough conversations. Think about that challenging time, that challenging call. Think about that as a stress that makes you stronger. The next time you have that tough conversation, it'll be easier. The next time you have to do that hard thing, it's going to be a little bit easier. That's why I take away from these conversations. It's all. It's one thing to look at, at SEALs and special operators and say, oh yeah, these go, guys go out there, hoorah, they, they shoot the enemy, they kick butt, they take care of the enemy. 
but really I'm fascinated by them more about how they overcome stress, how they overcome adversity. I mean, I don't think any, any one of the special operators ever wants to take a life. They want to succeed in their mission. They want to do their mission with, with as minimal cost to life as possible especially not their teammates, but even, even with any other else, I don't think anybody ever goes into the military for the specific purpose of trying to take other people's lives. I really hope they don't. I hope they go in there because they want to achieve, they want to do what they can to protect everybody. That's why I want to have this conversation. I want to learn what it takes to achieve at the highest level. I want to learn what it takes to overcome adversity and to overcome stress and still be successful. Tom is a great guy. You can find his information down below in the show notes. I have his links down there. I definitely recommend checking out his books. They're fascinating. Great insights into what we can each do better in our lives. We can learn from others. We can learn from other stressful situations. And we can take their lessons and apply it to our own lives. So we can each achieve our own success. Hopefully a little bit less stress than what other people have done. With that, go to PeteMcCallFitness.com. Check out PeteMcCallFitness.com. Sign up for my mailing list. Get great content to your email box once or twice a month. Reach out to me, Pete, at PeteMcCallFitness.com. Let me know how you like the podcast. Share any stories you might have. And you can always, always connect with me on Instagram. That's the All About Fitness Podcast on Instagram. Hey, as always, thanks for stopping by. And I do look forward to having you join me for future episodes of All About Fitness.